Yes. We're entering the fourth year of a down stock market. Is it time to sell? Have we hit bottom yet? What can you tell small investors who are really starting to worry? Just this. Relax. <laughs> the market goes up, the market goes down. But over the long haul, the market goes up. Yes. Is there any chance that stocks might rebound this year? I'm really the wrong guy to ask. I got completely out of stocks in late 99, and I haven't followed the market since. You got out of the market three years ago? Yes. You see, around that time, we at Global Century became convinced that stocks were headed for a crash and that bonds were the safer bet. And we were right. My own bond portfolio is up nearly 30%. But if you were moving out of stocks and into bonds three years ago, why were your brokers telling people like me to do the exact opposite? Well, obviously, if you think, as we did, that stocks are heading down and you want to unload them before a crash, you have to convince somebody out there to buy them. That's just common sense. <laughs> yes. Back in the summer of 2001, I wanted to move money into some defense-related and home security stocks, but your brokers talked me out of it. Is that because you and your friends were buying those stocks and wanted to keep the price down? Exactly. We felt that with the 9-11 terror attacks coming up later in the summer, that sector of the market would probably triple in value. And once again, we were right. You knew in advance about 9-11? Basically, yes. So earlier when you said you didn't own any stocks, that was a lie, right? Correct. That was a lie. Yes. Hi. Like a lot of us here, I followed your broker's advice, and over the last few years, I've lost 80% of my life savings. That does not surprise me at all. I'd just like to say that even though I think you're an evil person, and even though I came here intending to kill you, I've been really impressed with your honesty. Your kind of straight talk is rare in today's business world. Thank you. At Global Century, we like to be completely upfront with our clients. That's why in our prospectus, we clearly state that our investment advice is often self-interested or deceitful and may work to a client's disadvantage. We think you deserve to know that. For straight answers to your investment questions, stop by our offices for a free consultation. Yes. It doesn't say that in the prospectus. Sure it does. No, it doesn't. Yes, it's in there. You have to read it. I've read it. It's not in there. You're right. It's not in there. I just assumed you hadn't read it. I appreciate your honesty. You bet. Global Century Investments. Hard questions, straight answers. Does that feel familiar? I'm Joe Davis. I'm the lead teaching pastor here at the Garden. Today, we're talking about the parable of the talents. The name of the sermon is Kingdom Investments, LLC. Um, the idea behind this is don't bury your talents. And I think we're going to be looking at this passage in maybe a little bit different way than some of you have probably um, thought about it over the years. And I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's 16 verses, and, and to save a little bit of time, I'm just going to give you basically a summary of this. There's a master who has a great fortune, and he's going away on a trip, and he gathers together some of his servants, <clears throat> and he says to the one, I'm giving you one talent, and by the way, we'll talk about what a talent is later, and to the other one, he says, I'm giving you this amount. And to the third one, he says, I'm giving you this amount. And, and basically what he says is, I'm going to go away and then I'll come back and I want to see what you've done with the talents. And after a long time, he comes back and he gathers together all of these servants that had these talents. And he comes to the first one. He says, Master, you delivered to me five talents and here I've made five talents more. And his master said, 
well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, so I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he goes to the next one, and he says, Master, you delivered to me two talents, and I have made two talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, and I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Then he went to the parable, he went to the servant who only got one talent. And he came forward and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. And here is what, you, what is yours. But the master said to him, You wicked and slothful servant, lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has, will be, more will be given, and to those who have an abundance. But for the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And then he says, cast the worthless servant into outer darkness, where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Did you know that the phrase, the kingdom of heaven is like, occurs 31 times in the book of Matthew? We've been going through this Matthew, pass, or this Matthew study, and I've been trying to explain to you the whole point of the book of Matthew is that he's trying to get his Jewish readers to abandon the idea of waiting for a Messiah that comes to restore the earthly kingdom of David, abandon that idea, it's not going to happen, and recognize that the new kingdom and the new Messiah is here now. What you've been waiting for is here now and embrace it. And 31 times, Matthew, through Jesus, says, this is the old kingdom, but the new kingdom, the one you should be looking for, is like this. And this is another one of those passages. So let me explain to you a couple of things that maybe will help make sense a little bit. Understand what the Jewish kingdom was that they were waiting for. They're waiting for a Messiah to come and restore their kingdom. And this is what it would look like if you were a Jewish person waiting for the kingdom of David, the kingdom of Solomon, the earthly kingdom to be reestablished. First thing is, you're passively waiting. There's nothing you can do to bring it about. You're at the mercy of the timetable of the return of this king who can lead this army that does not exist against this empire that rules the world, the Roman Empire. So you're passively waiting. And right now, the resources that you think you might need to restore your kingdom all belong to Rome. Matter of fact, Jesus even says, render under Caesar the things that are Caesar's. He even says, forget all that stuff you think you need for the earthly kingdom. It belongs to Caesar. We don't need it. But if you're a Jewish person in the first century and you're waiting for the kingdom, you're passively waiting, you can't do anything actively to bring it about, you're recognizing that all the things you think you need, even the very temple that you worship in, all belongs to Rome. And desperate waiting is the core of your hope and anticipation. This desperate waiting, boy, it's like it's kind of like buying a $1 lottery ticket and hoping that you'll win the lottery. I don't see how it's going to happen. The odds are against it. 
but I'm just going to wait and see because I hope that the whole kingdom of Solomon, the one where all the kings of the world would come to our place, to Jerusalem, for wisdom and understanding and help and money and power, all that stuff will come back to us. And you're desperately, hopelessly waiting. Compare this to what is talked about over 31, or 31 times in the book of Matthew, the kingdom of heaven. The, the kingdom of heaven is trusting that Messiah has come. The, kingdom, the Jewish kingdom is waiting for a Messiah to come. The kingdom of heaven is trusting that Messiah has come. And here's the difference. Its members are active. The kingdom is here, and it's expanding now. Its resources are massive. We've got talents galore. And its expansion is unstoppable. There is nothing Rome can do, nothing the enemy can do, nothing you can do, nothing Satan can do, nothing Russia can do, nothing America can do, nothing Iran can do, nothing Iraq can do, nothing ISIS can do to stop the expanse and the advancement of the kingdom of heaven. Its members are active, its resources are massive, and its expansion is unstoppable. This is the core of many of the parables we've been looking at, and it's the core of the parable of the talents. Let's explain. Let's go through a little bit. First of all, the investments. <clears throat> the investments in this story are not just the talents. The investments are the servants, the people, and the talents. It's kind of like, remember, remember, there's a great story about this. Joseph was a great picture of this. Remember? Potiphar was this rich guy, and he left, and left Joseph in charge of the house. It's kind of the same thing here. Remember that story? We preached about it in here during this series. So for something for you to understand a little bit, you know what a talent was? A talent was 20 years of pay for a day laborer in the first century. That's what a talent was. And in reality... The first century life expectancy was about 20 years at birth. And if you made it to age 20, you might live another 20. So in reality, a talent is really a lifetime. I mean, he used that word talent for specific reasons. He wanted you to understand this is not like being able to play the guitar. This is not like stand-up comic or good with numbers. Or I can paint really good. That's not the kind of talent he's talking about he's talking about a lifetime of work that's what a talent was as so you can see with the life expectancy being at birth maybe you make it to 20 and if you make it at 20 and you go through all the worst times you might make it to 40 a talent is a significant investment and what happens with this talent is is he's giving them to the servants the first servant was unable to get past fear. The faithful were to able embrace what the master wanted, and they returned the talents even more. They took, one guy took five lifetimes and turned it into ten. One guy took two lifetimes and turned it into four. The other one had a lifetime that was wasted. And the unfaithful servant at the end of this parable was declared worthless. He was a worthless investment. It says, cast out the worthless servant. Bind him 
into outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Judgment, separation from the kingdom, separation from God, separation from Christ. So what is the formula of success between the one servant who was unfaithful and the two that were faithful? First of all, you have to understand, the difference was faith versus fear. The difference between the unfaithful servant and the faithful ones is faith versus fear of the master's return. One was afraid, look, one day the master's going to come back and I might not be ready. And oh, oh. The other one was, man, I'm so glad I got these five lifetimes invested in me. I can't wait till the master comes back so I can show him what I've done with it. And it was almost like, I don't want to, it's probably the wrong word, but it was almost like they were so excited about when the master would return that they would please him. There was almost reckless abandon with what he was given, said, I'm going to make sure that I use this and use this because I recognize that my master reaps where he has not sown and gathers where he doesn't put seed. He knows how to make money. I'm just going to do what he's told me to do because he knows what's going on. Look at this passage in 1 Timothy 1, 6 and 7. I'm just going to read it to you. This is great. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. And by the way, what is the gift of God? Anybody remember? Faith. Fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and discipline. You see, guys, faith not only liberates you from your sin, but it also liberates you to works of righteousness that expand the kingdom. An example of that is in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, one of my favorite passages that I've probably read in here over the last three years maybe 40 times. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and even that faith is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that you may not brag, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that we should stumble into. See, what faith does is it not only liberates you from sin, but it liberates you from fear of failure when it comes to the kingdom of heaven. The servant that failed to expand the resources of his master's kingdom never had faith because he was ruled by fear. The other two had faith that cast out fear. When I was a young Christian, I was getting a lot of bad teaching about the return of Jesus and when it was and what it would look like and the rapture. And if you don't get the rapture, it's... Three and a half years of peace, and you got three and a half years of blood in the street to the bridles, the bridle of the horse, and you know, all the I mean, just bad stuff. I was scared of the master's return. And a few years ago, we talked about this. Remember, I showed you the video of how the kids would respond when their daddies would come home from war, and how they would just run and jump into the arms of dad, crying and happy. And that's how we should look at the return of Jesus. Not in fear of, oh my gosh, am I ready? I better just, I'm going to be really conserved. I'm going to be really careful, like the unfaithful servant, maybe. So what is a, and we kind of got through that kind of quickly, but I want to give you a theological application for us. You know, some teach, 
kind of the same thing that Judaism taught. That the kingdom of heaven hasn't arrived yet. They call it premillennialism. Thumbs down on that one. We don't like that one. The kingdom of heaven is not here yet, and we must wait before we can really get things done as a church because there's just too much wickedness in the world. And we're more like, you know, guerrilla warfare soldiers in the jungle taking pot shots here and there, but we can't really make any real advancements because the world is too evil. The other thing they do is they take this thousand-year reign that's predicted in Revelation very literally, and they think that it's actually 1,000 years. But in reality, the whole book of Revelation, and we're going to do a study on that in the future <clears throat> as soon as I personally figure it out. So 2034, we're going to do a study on Revelation. <laughs> but the whole book of Revelation is very figurative. I mean, I'm not looking around for a beast with 10 horns, you know, and 27 eyes and, you know... It's very figurative. And so you can't look at a whole book of Revelation, which is a dream, and take it figuratively, but then take one section very literally. And so what a premillennialist will do is he'll say, look, there's a, there's a time when Jesus will come to the earth and he will reign 1,000 years, 365 times 1,000. And the other thing they teach is an earthly Jewish kingdom is part of God's plan for Christ. So in other words, and when Jesus comes back, <clears throat> he's going to rule and reign from Jerusalem from the temple, and we're all going to be just like Jewish people. That's a premillennial idea of the return of Jesus. <clears throat> and then the other thing is they teach that the return of Jesus marks the beginning of his reign on earth. So right now, he's not reigning on earth. Right now, he's not. And we're kind of in this wilderness kind of like the Jews were in the desert. We're in this wilderness, and we're kind of tossed to and fro, and it's rough, and it's scary, and all these things. And then one day, he's going to come back, and then he's really going to have victory. Right now, he had victory on the cross, but now we're waiting, you know. You know, maybe the extra point and the touchdown will come later, and we don't know what's going to happen. And, you know, it's still very iffy. You understand that this kind of theology would leave us in a very similar state as the Jewish people in the first century waiting for the restoration of Solomon? It's bad theology that robs us of a true understanding of the power of God in our lives right now, today, through the Holy Spirit that was sent not just to help us buy time, but to get stuff done. The Holy Spirit wasn't sent to us so that we could bury our talents and be conservative and careful and quiet and hope nobody sees us until Jesus comes back and then when Jesus is reigning, then we'll be loud. No, that's not what the Holy Spirit was sent to us for. Holy Spirit was sent to cast out the spirit of fear and fan the flame of the gift. So let's look at our millennialism. Thumbs up on that one. First of all, the kingdom of heaven began at Pentecost. They were gathered together. They're still trying to figure out what's going on with the death of Jesus, all this stuff. It's difficult. 
The Spirit comes, they're given this incredible power, and they go out and they start doing miracles, and there's healing, and, and there's scripture being written, and a lot of exciting stuff is going on. A lot of cool things are happening, and it's powerful. And all of a sudden, what happens? This little group of believers explodes into tens of thousands of people. Does that sound like we're waiting for a kingdom? Or does that sound like it started? So an amillennialist believes that the kingdom of heaven began at Pentecost. And Peter even confirms this when he talks about the prophecies of Joel being fulfilled about the coming of the kingdom to explain what is actually happening. The other thing we believe is that Jesus is presently reigning from heaven, seated at the right hand of God the Father. And you know what else we believe? That Jesus is and will remain with the church until the end of the world just as he promised in the Great Commission. You know what else we believe is that the church and its spread of the gospel is the kingdom of heaven. This is what we believe. This is what should inspire us. This is what should motivate us to a life of service. Our motivation isn't to try to hopefully maybe I can earn God's favor. Our motivation isn't so, well, we got to be careful. No, our motivation is we are part of this powerful, growing, expanding kingdom of heaven. We are citizens by God's sovereign grace who's given us the gift of faith that's driven out our fear and preordained us to good works that we stumble over. I love the way John Calvin puts it. There will be no excuse of the indolence of those who both conceal the gifts of God and waste their time on idleness. Far too many professing Christians, James talks about those types of people, far too many professing Christians are content to sit around and not use their time, talent, and money for the kingdom. And what is this quote trying to communicate? It's communicating that the same truth that we saw in James when we did our study there. The result of the gift of faith is the work of the master as we wait for his return. You see, guys, this passage about the parables does not teach, the, teach about the path of faith and salvation. What it teaches is the result of faith and salvation. Does that make sense? The reason that the two servants were faithful was not because they earned their way. It's because they were given faith, fear was cast out, and they were good investments. This passage is meant to teach that faith always creates a guaranteed investment for the kingdom out of those to whom it is applied. Guys, we aren't waiting for the kingdom of heaven to come like the Jewish worshipers in the first century. We're not waiting for some sign that, well, once they start building that temple again, then maybe Christ is right around the corner. I don't know what's going on. And we're not, no. There is nothing that needs to be done anymore. The kingdom of heaven is here. It's now. It's powerful. It's rich. And it's advancing. Think about the power held by the gospel. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God to salvation. And I've given you all power, Jesus says. The Holy Spirit sent at Pentecost, combined with the gospel and the power of Christ 
who dwells within us and makes us the sanctuary. This building isn't a sanctuary. That building over there is not a sanctuary. We are the sanctuary. We possess the power of the presence of God, not some building made out of brick and mortar. How can you live in fear of failure if you have the spirit and the presence of Christ and the gospel at your disposal? Shouldn't you live in anticipation of the good works you're about to trip over? Do you have kingdom assets entrusted to you that are buried? Maybe it's because you're unfaithful. And if there's a stirring in your heart that says, oh no, I don't want to be unfaithful, that could very well be the Holy Spirit saying, you are now enlightened. Here's the gift of faith. What are you waiting for? The wait is over. That's the message of the book of Matthew to Jewish worshipers. The wait is over. That's the book of Matthew's message to you. Stop waiting. The kingdom is here. The kingdom is now. It's going on without you. You better catch the train and ride it while you can. Because if you've been given the gift of faith, there's no reason to feel fa fear failure when it comes to the kingdom. He's cast out fear. And you've got some powerful assets at your disposal to become good investments for the kingdom. You've got the gospel, which never returns empty. Hello? The gospel, I'm not afraid of the gospel. It's the power of God to salvation. For the word of God never returns void, but it always accomplishes everything that it's set out to accomplish. You've got the Holy Spirit. I've given you all power. What are you waiting for? Take your life's wages and do something. As we prepare to leave this place today, we invite